Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Julie Nelson. Licensed back in 1999, Julie is a real estate veteran in Austin, Texas. Realtor, trainer, coach, industry author, and career strategist, Julie serves buyers and sellers throughout the Austin area. On a national level, she writes, trains, and coaches, helping agents build their lives through entrepreneurial success. Now, let's join Julie and our host, Tim Harris. Thank you for that great introduction. I'm really looking forward to talking with Julie Nelson. Julie is located in Austin, Texas, and I was reading, I don't know Julie, I'm getting to know Julie, but I'll tell you the thing that I've liked about so far, everything I've read about her, she is involved in many different aspects of real estate. She sort of innately knows the importance of having multiple spokes of income, and I really appreciate that. So, Ms. Julie Nelson, welcome to today's podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. So let's get this right out of the gates, if, uh, because I'm sure you, we're, you and I are going to cover a lot of ground, talk about a lot of different things. Your evolution in the real estate industry, you know, your, the things you've learned, the things you wish you would have done or wish you wouldn't have done, all that good stuff. And I know that there are going to be agents who want to get a hold of you. How can they do so? Oh, okay. Well, I, I think, like you, I'm very, very easy to find online. So <laughs> uh, with just a little tiny bit of effort, if you actually Google Julie Nelson Realtor or Julie Nelson Austin, Texas, or The Nelson Project, some variation on that theme, you should uh, find me all over the place. All right, and I did, and you're right, and you were easy to find all over the place. Let's just start talking about what the what the Nelson Project is. I know that's the that's a name; it's a great brand. But can you give us uh, you. just a an sure. overview of all the different aspects of the Nelson Project? Yeah, so let me just, just, there's kind of a funny story behind that. So I've been in the business for 19, let's say 19.02 years now. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to do something fun for the 20-year mark uh, next year, later next year. Um, but many, many years ago, this was simply a conversation with my CPA, and she was instructing me that she wanted me to incorporate so I'm like, oh, gosh, okay, I need a name, right? And and I wanted it to be interesting and fun but generic enough that it could apply to other businesses that I may start that I had no idea what that might be, right? So uh, so with a fun process with some friends and, and probably um, some cocktail conversations, we came up with the Nelson Project. Um, and so really what that encompasses, uh, encompasses today, and I'll keep this simple, but is really a combination of my traditional real estate practice. So I, I, I help buyers and sellers in Austin, Texas, and then it's a combination of my uh, training, speaking, and coaching, and my authoring. So I, I published a book earlier this year, and we'll get into that in more detail. So 
that's uh, that's the Nelson Project with a little story behind it. Well, let's talk about your book. Why not talk about it now? Can you uh, g- give the readers an right. idea, first of all, where they can get it, what it's about, why they want to buy it, all that good stuff? Awesome. Okay. So it's on Amazon, and it's called – so if you actually type in Success Faster Julie Nelson in Amazon, it'll pop up. But it's called Success Faster Quickly Launch or Relaunch Your Real Estate Career, and then a little subtitle that says um, – uh, your roadmap to getting started or starting over. So um, for for five years, I was a, a, a director of training at the largest Keller Williams office in the world, so here in Austin, Texas. And so I, at any given time, I had like 100, 150 agents in my program that were first-year realtors. So I was immersed in that world um, and I worked a lot with our overall training program, so I was working with agents at, at all levels um, in this very large um, real estate office. And I started developing some theories over the years and some frustrations that I felt like, and this is a statement on the industry, I felt like the industry was missing the mark for not only the new agents, but particularly the bulk of agents in the middle that um, were kind of your average producers. And agents that I I found, and and I'm sure you've observed this in your years of coaching and training, I found that the, the vast majority of those agents really did not have much stability or predictability in their business and I felt like, as an industry, we were not speaking very well to them. Um, well, I love what example. you. Well, mm-hmm. let me. Let, I, I, just to, I want to tie this into a podcast that Julie and I did last week because what you're saying, I am in okay. complete agreement with. You know, that's the reason we tell agents that they always should have, and you're obviously in alignment with this. They should always have multiple spokes on their lead generation wheel. In other words, they have to be creating different sources of business, but the primary spokes, the strongest spokes, have to be the spokes if they are uh, in complete control of, not leads that they're buying, but proactive lead generation, the things that involve direct contact with uh, buyers and sellers. And if they don't do that, they're always going to have crappy businesses that go up and down. But really what the heart of what you're saying, which I love and I appreciate because I agree 1,000%, is the industry really isn't willing or doesn't know, which I don't think is the truth. I think it's the isn't willing, to tell agents the truth about what it takes to have long-term sustainability in your business. And that's the reason that most brokerages refer to themselves as body shops because they know most agents are going to come and go within, you know, two to three years. They're going to sell to their low-hanging fruit centers of influence and past clients. They're never going to learn how to build their own business, never going to know how to proactively lead generate, and they're gone. And that's the essence of the core of the reason why there's so many agents that suffer so needlessly because no one's ever ta- willing to take the time that I appreciate yes. that you, know, you were. So yes. picking back yes. up where so, you left off. <laughs> yes. So not only do the agents need this, but the brokers who love them need need this. And I'm talking small brokerages, medium brokerages, all brokerages, but think about just kind of the average brokerage out there or brokerage office that, I don't know, might have six agents or they might have 46 agents, um, maybe 100 agents, okay? There's, there's thousands and thousands of those out there. What if they could get half of their agents into a position in their business where it just simply had 
some stability. And and they could they could tighten that revolving door where where folks, you know, within a couple of years that they're just not making very much money, they leave the business. So so the 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 book is really 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 speaking to a lot of agents and these brokerages. Can I ask you questions like, about that? Yeah, Can I ask you specific yeah. questions because we're talking around about it. Yeah. Let's that, and we we drill down on this podcast. I want to drill down with you. So great. Um, if someone were reading your book and there's somebody and you mentioned they're like a Midland producer, they don't have consistent business. Maybe they're spending too much money buying leads from Zillow. They yeah. they're big addict. You know they love the bright, shiny objects that they think will do all the heavy lifting for them, i.e. Yeah. proactive lead generation, right? I mean, like most agents yeah. out there. All right, so if yeah. you were – if what would – what is that – are there two or three things that agent needs to be realizing and putting in place, in your opinion, immediately in yeah. order to basically start producing? Okay, let's hear it. Yes. Okay. So number one, and this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, is number one, the majority of them are being lousy bosses in their own business. They're running squirrel farms, and they're not doing the money work first every day. <laughs> True. And I can only I say that because I relate to it. I know what it looks like. I know what I am fully capable of running a squirrel farm. But the reality is, and, and perfection isn't, is not the goal. It's like, look, I can run a squirrel farm a couple days a week, okay? I'm really good at it. It's kind of fun. But I better not run that squirrel farm <laughs> the majority of time during the week so that I can get my money work done in my business. And, and I swear if most agents would correct that behavior in their business, their world would change and their bank account would change and their enjoyment of the business would change. Okay, I'm sure many of you at this point are somewhat curious about eXp. It's something that seems to be on everyone's mind EXP is obviously one of the fastest-growing real estate brokerages in the history of real estate. Um, I'm going to save you the effort of having to do a lot of Googling and a lot of research. We've prepared a video for you. All you have to do is text the word EXP, that's it, just text the word EXP to 31996. Go ahead and do that now. Text the word EXP, well, is that a word or those letters? I think they're letters. Just text the letters EXP to 31996. And you're going to be sent a link, and you can watch a quick seven-minute video that EXP has provided, so that you can get all your questions answered about EXP and take your, um, you know, decide if you want to pursue the opportunity any further. I have to say, in all of our years in real estate, EXP is probably the thing that is going to be the biggest, I think, change agent, if you want to call it that, for real estate agents. There's a lot of talk about technology companies, a lot of talk about you know, different CRMs and lead generators and all this Mickey Mouse, but nothing that I've seen, Julie and I have seen in the past couple of decades will have as much impact in a positive way uh, on agents' ability to actually accumulate real wealth more so than EXP. It's just a fantastic business model. Seriously consider texting the word EXP to 31996. Yeah. Julie, can I, again, I want to drill down on what you just said. You you are not the only person out there, obviously. Everyone who, you know, this is common sense, right? You have to have, at least part of the time, you have to have an organized, you know, something that's resembling a professional schedule so you get con the most important things done. It is the essence of what I just heard you say. So yes. people know this intuitively, I'm sure you'll agree, but they choose to yes. ignore it. They know 
that in their lives, the times where they have accomplished the most, most in their lives is when they had outside accountability, when they're held to a schedule, when they had like a personal trainer at the gym or, you know, whatever. And yet, as soon as they get into real estate, the first thing that most of them do, as you just said, is they choose to run a squirrel farm. They, their lives become squirrel farms. I love that. I'm so going to steal that, by the way. So why is, it, why is it that agents, people in general, would choose to ignore what they know to be intuitively true about how to be successful? Why is it that they are allowing themselves to run squirrel farms when they know that the opposite would get them what they wanted, in your opinion? Well, well, it's interesting, and I'll challenge agents on this. I'll say, hold on, you've worked for somebody else at some point in your life, right? You had a job and you had a boss, right, and, and, and a salary and a paycheck, right? And everybody says, yes, of course I have. It's like, okay, so how come – why would you – treat? and you showed up when you were supposed to, and you got your most important work done, and you always want a good performance review, and – you didn't call in sick if you were just slightly sick, right? You did all of those things. And they'll say, yes, I did all of those things. It's like, okay, why would you treat somebody else's business better than you treat your own? Hmm, interesting. And let them sit with that for a little bit. So, in, in, and honestly, I think what it comes down to is, you know, folks get into real estate and, and the it's kind of that entrepreneurial self-employment appeal it's the sexy part of real estate. It's like, oh my God, it's a flexible schedule. I love the romance from home. of it. Yeah. The romance of it is great, and and that's a that's a lot of the reason why a lot of us got into real estate in the first place. So I'll you know so we'll say, hey, what's what's the romantic? What's the sexy part of real estate? But you can't lead with that. So there's sexy and there's job. Let's oversimplify yep. this. There's sexy and there's job. You can't lead with sexy. You have well, so to lead with job. Why is it, Julie, you were in the you were deep in the weeds with these big corporate type situations and you were in charge of helping, you know, as many agents who would listen to you build their businesses. Why is it on yeah. a whole that our industry doesn't say what you just said? In essence you have to do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level, which is one of the things we say. Why is it that the industry doesn't tell agents the truth and the industry seems to reinforce agents running these little, you know, squirrel farm type businesses where they're buying leads and never learning any skill or discipline? What's your opinion on that? Well, I think it starts with real estate school because real estate school doesn't teach and it's okay, there's a probably an exception or two out there, but real estate school when you're when you're getting your license they don't teach a class that's called Real Estate 101 or Sales 101 or How to Be Successful in Real Estate. They don't teach that. So I think that's where it starts. So it's like I'd like to change the industry and get the real estate schools to start not just offering it as an elective. It's like no, require require Real Estate 101, Real Estate Sales as, as part of the core curriculum. So agents, I find it really sad when agents get into the business and they had no clue what they were getting themselves into and they start spending money that they didn't have and and it's very expensive for them for a couple of years and then they then they fail out. Now, they may come back another couple of years later when they're ready and they've got their head wrapped around it, which is fine. I've seen that happen. But I think it's really sad that we can let folks get into the business or that folks will get into the business without doing the research online, just simply Googling how to succeed in real estate. You know, well, how, many, but, but, how 
Yeah, so a couple things. Couple things I heard you just say. Okay. So, and I really appreciate mm-hmm. you said this too. Uh, would you agree that most people find it abhorrent to refer to themselves as salespeople? Most agents would never refer to themselves as salespeople. You don't have to agree. Sure. If that's, yeah. No, I no, I agree. And I started that way in the business too. I'm like, no, don't call me that. I don't ever want to be that sales. Well, there's salesy, and then there's a salesperson. But but like go. in my little brain when I started in real estate a very long time ago, um, I didn't differentiate between the two. And so I, uh, yeah, I tried to just be this totally organic helping my friends and neighbors uh, realtor. And finally I woke up. It was took me a couple of years and I did okay my first couple of years by industry standards. But one day I just kind of woke up. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I... I need to run a sales business here. Well, that right there, though. Uh, let's hover, yeah. Julie, let's hover there because mm-hmm. what you this is this is so important, right? You know, it's funny. Julie and I were talking before I hit the record button, and uh, mm-hmm. I told her I have a list of questions, and I also told her we probably wouldn't use any because we come off on some we start right. on a tangent. We are, but this is probably right. what right. we're talking about now is so incredibly important. And I'm going to start out by making maybe what seems like a you know a bold statement, but it's true. I have never okay. in my entire forever. And between Ju- you know between Julie Nelson and I, we've been in the business for like 50 stinking years, too long. I have never okay. once come across a top producing agent who does not consider themselves a salesperson. And I also heard you say, Julie, that there was a behavioral change within you on the other side of you saying, I'm a salesperson running a sales business. Can we hover there? Because that's one of the yeah. biggest shifts that needs to happen in real estate is agents need to realize that they're salespeople. And I love what you said. There's a difference between being salesy and being a salesperson, a sales professional. Help us understand yeah. a drill down on that because that is so important. Okay. So, one, it is a mindset, and, and we all need to have our aha moment on that. Now, some agents come into the business and they already have that, and God bless them. Um, the majority of agents need to find their aha moment with that of, oh, I am a salesperson and I'm running a sales business, so how am I, how am I going to do that? Um, uh, drilling down on it, and I, I love to oversimplify things, it's like, do you, have, do you have a pipeline or not? And if we can focus on that one thing, if we can get a little health and a little stability and a little predictability into your pipeline, that's going to make all the difference in the world. You're going to love the business more than you are. You're going to get back in touch with the romantic part of why you got into this business in the first place because you'll start having more fun because it's very stressful. So if you're not running a sales, if you're not being a salesperson, if you're not running a, a, a sales business, if you're not Focusing on that pipeline as the foundational principle of your business, it's very stressful. It's not fun. Well, okay, so let's let, let's slow down because I, I understand what you're saying, and it's really important that we remember we're talking to tens of thousands of agents, and not all of them are going to be, a, you know, have the experience level. And so we, I, you just said a whole yeah. bunch of you're brilliant. I love you. I love what you're saying because it's so true. <laughs> and guys, guys, I'm I'm gonna tra- I'm gonna do just a little bit breaking drilling down on what she said. First of all, so when you consider – if you say – all you guys listening, agents listening, 
when you decide that you're going to be a salesperson, you say, I'm going to be a salesperson. You're going to stop hiding from it. You're going to stop being one of these agents that basically you know, thinks that you're somehow better than it. You, all the mental garbage in your head is going to go out the window, and you're going to say, I'm a salesperson. Now, on the other side of that is a freedom, and that's what she was just telling you because you then will have – the per, you have given yourself permission to become the best version of a salesperson that you can be. I'm going to give you guys a little something that I learned because like Julie, now this was a long time ago, I had preconceived, uh, bad preconceived notions about what it meant to be a salesperson until I learned this. The richest people in the history of history have always been salespeople. And I'm not telling you, you know, some guy selling vacuum cleaners. What I'm trying to get you to understand is for you to be great at anything in life, you have to be a great salesperson. If you're going to be a great doctor, you have to be a great salesperson because you have to be able to explain to people what their problem is and how you're going to help them overcome it. I know sometimes I had this conversation actually recently with a um, a, a psychologist, actually, as funny as, as that is, and he took issue to what I said until then I explained to him. He said, I would like to think that I never prescribe medicine or, you know, what he actually said electro thought, uh, shock therapy because I'm getting paid for it. And I said to him, well, if you don't explain to someone the importance of doing whatever it is your advice is leading them to do, isn't that mean that you're ineffective at selling them into what you know is best for them? And he goes, I never thought about it that way. But that's the essence of it. So with those of you who are struggling to accept the fact that you're a salesperson, just understand what a salesperson is, just like that position. At the end of the day, it's a problem solver. A great salesperson is solving somebody else's problem. And if you're not – and when you solve enough other people's problems, and I'm not talking dozens here. I'm talking hundreds if not thousands accumulatively. You're going to have all of life's riches roll to your doorstep. The problem solvers of the world or the best salespeople of the world are the richest people in the world. So stop struggling with this head junk about being a salesperson. It's keeping you poor. It's keeping you broke. You know, and, and it's like the, we make fun of secret agents, agents that are out and about and hear people talking about real estate but don't have the courage to have the conversation with them. Oh, I didn't want to seem obtrusive, even though you could have contributed somebody, something. Or how about those of you who just today drove past three or four FISBO signs or just today looked, glanced in the MLS and saw there was 22 expireds within 10 minutes of your front door and you just ignored them. Okay. What if you were to say, I'm going to be the best version of me as a salesperson as I possibly can be, and then when you see those expired, you get excited. Guys, that's on the other side of this thinking is what you're looking for in this business. Oh, okay, I got that off my chest. Oh, nice. That's good. <laughs> so let me add, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. Save that clip. Um, and I'll add to that. It's like, how, when was the last time? You had a very direct and convincing conversation with your top 100 people, your family, your friends, your neighbors. These are your best people. These are your A's and your A pluses where you passionately explain to them why you're in real estate, what you bring to the table, what your goals are for this year, and that it's your intention to earn their business and their referrals this year with a great big smile on your face, when was the last time you did that? And if you didn't do it, because what I have found, and I ask this question of realtors all the time, is where did your last 10 clients come from, or what is the greatest source of your, of your business, your leads, your clients? Um, and, and for the majority of agents, they go through that exercise, and, it's, and it tends to be sphere and referrals. Uh, and, and so it's like, okay, so if that's your wheelhouse, how well are you really tending to your wheelhouse or are you just winging it? 
stop winging it. Um, I'm listening to Jen Sincero's latest book. You know, she has that badass series. She's awesome. I really, really like her. So her latest one out is called You Are a Badass Every Day. And here's a quote from her book. And she says, you are unauthorized to wing it. You're unauthorized <laughs> to wing it. Stop. Well, stop but, but let's let, let, but Julie, let's talk about that again. You're saying some more stuff that I really hope the listeners are paying attention to. So you got and everything she just said is my experience as well. When you ask agents where their business comes from, a vast majority of agents that are just building their spokes or just midland producers are going to say centers of influence of past clients. And then you ask what yeah. organized, systematized approach you have to communicating with those people. There <laughs> isn't one. In other words, it's, right. it's hope and a chance, and please somebody email me. You have, and, and then so, okay, let's put a system in place where you're going to systematically on a calendared basis have you know, conversations where you're bringing something of value to your centers of influence and past clients. And, and you guys still will resist in having direct conversations, but you'll be more than happy to email them something and maybe drop off Chotsky's or, you know, at their front door. Um, let me, listeners, listen to what I'm saying. And Julie, feel free not to agree or to agree. If you're going to do all the other passive stuff, which is, you know, okay, okay but it's not going to get you into the end zone, if you reinforce that with a phone call, you will be stunned how much more effective all the passive stuff is. When you send them out a digital newsletter or you send them out a holiday card or whatever, follow up with a phone call. The phone call does not have to be something that's going to make you uncomfortable. It can just be you go to Facebook, you find out what's going on in their lives, you call in and say, hey, I saw that Susie just learned to ride her bike. I thought it was great. Congratulations, whatever, whatever. Have some conversation with them. And at the end of the call, just say this simple line. It's painless. All of you can say it. I do not care how, you know, weird you are considering yourself a salesperson. Here it is. Ready? By the way, if you come across anyone that uh, is thinking about buying or selling that you think I can be helping, uh, please do remember me or, you know, consider tossing them my way. Or simply put, by the way, if you come across anybody who's thinking about buying or selling that I should be helping in this market, please let me know. I'd love to be of assistance to anyone you know that I can. Helping. When you say that word, they love it. I'm sorry, Julie. So find – Yes, find your authentic version of that. And I'm going to offer another version. There's lots of versions out there, but find yours and seriously write it down on a piece of paper and walk around your living room for two hours, if that's what it takes, and say it out loud 267 times till it's completely ingrained in your DNA. So it's very natural. But here's another version of it. So – so let's say you send out your holiday cards or you send out that, that, that great email newsletter or an article to everybody. You follow it up with a phone call, and I say to them, I'm like, hey, it's Julie. I need to run a couple things by you. One is business. One is personal. Do you have a second? So I'm already uh, telling them, hey, I've got a couple things. I like to do the business first and the personal second. I'll say, hey, I wanted to make sure you saw – my email, there's one particular article in there that I think you're going to want to read. And then I can ask them, hey, um, are you anticipating or who do you know who may need my real estate services this next year? We're already setting up appointments for spring. And I'm always kind of pushing that out, like maybe about four months, kind of pushing it out to the next season. And then I'll say, because I will have jumped on Facebook to see what their posts are, and I'll say, 
okay, here's the personal thing. Oh, my God, I can't believe how big the kids are getting. That is awesome that they won that soccer tournament. What are you guys doing for the holidays? So that's my approach. And you're right. It's so easy to send out, post a cool something on Facebook or send out that email or maybe drop a tchotchke by. But the secret sauce to that or the magic ingredient is the follow-up phone call every single time. And here's what's fascinating, too, uh, is that, you know, this is not, uh, this is not secret knowledge. If you, listeners, no. if you ever come across a top producing agent, and we've interviewed tons of them on our podcast in the last few years, and you ask them, and you guys have heard me ask this question a million times, what's your number one source of business? I usually frame it. If you could only do one thing to generate uh, leads for the rest of your career, what would it be? They don't even pause, and they always say this. But what they are, what, and then I, listeners, you know I do this. I always drill down. Okay, centers of influence, past clients. What specifically do you do? And they always give us a little, you know, a wimpy answer. Well, I mail them something. And I'm like, no. What do you mail them? What does it say? <laughs> you know, and, the, and yeah, then they, yeah. the, the secret sauce is always a phone call. And so then I asked this question, listeners. You can listen to these interviews yourself. I said, so if you had a choice between only doing direct mail or only doing a postcard. I'm sorry, only doing direct mail or something passive and picking up the phone, which would you do? And they would say, I will only pick up the phone if I only could choose to do one or the other because postcards and passive stuff by itself does not generate a predictable business. When I call somebody up after I've communicated with them passively, and uh, then that's the tie down to help me have a, a natural organic conversation. And listeners, it's so easy to get business from them. There's been all kinds of different research that's shown that like 10% of all the people in your database will be able to send you a referral. But I know people that get way more than that. I'm sure it's really true in the upper end too, Julie. What's your research shown you when you're writing your book? Oh, it, it, yeah, it, it's the same across, across the board. I don't care if you're the top producing team that's been in the business for a long time or if you're an agent that does, you know, even – two transactions a month, it's fear and past, and past client referrals. All right, so I'm going to remind all of you, you want to text the word EXP to 31996. Go ahead and do that now, and you'll be uh, texted back a link of, for a seven-minute video that answers all your questions about EXP. So go ahead and do that now. Text the word EXP to 31996. It takes two seconds, and uh, yeah. We'll text you back with the video. You can just watch it and uh, have all your questions answered. Go ahead. Well, there's been like a ground war that's basically started in about 2007. I'm trying to be dramatic just to kind of be funny, but I think you'll, you know, it's true. Yeah. Between between what people have considered old school and new school. Of course, new school is social networking and all the rest of it, and old school is kind of the stuff we're talking about. Maybe you do the social networking and the rest of it, but definitely supplement it or essentially reinforce it with a phone call. Whereas these, a lot of people have tried to sell agents on the belief that they can just do everything passively. What's your opinion on that? Uh, you know, passive is um, susceptible to lack of consistency. Mm -hmm. And lack of consistency is stressful and it hurts your bank account. And especially if the market shifts at all, if, if, if you're not being consistent with that, um, you're you just well. Frankly, you're not running a good business. 
So in December is a good example, and I'm, I'm not changing the subject. It's like, what are you doing in December? To what extent are you really loving on your database and communicating with your database in December so you can ramp up for the first quarter? A lot of realtors just kind of check out in 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 December. So what are you what are you doing there? What's your what's your plan? How active are you? How many working days are you working in in December? But I can go off on okay, that. Okay, so you just said <laughs> something again that was genius. Julie, you just said something again that was genius. So she Thank said you. working days. It, yeah, you did. <laughs> she said she said working days in December. Now, what did you mean by that? When you said working days, what do you mean by that? Well, okay, so remember back when you worked for somebody else and you had a Monday, typically like a Monday through Friday uh, working schedule. So if you look at the month of December, there's a minimum of three weeks that you would have worked and in some cases, four, it just depends on how many days you would take off. So you would have somewhere between 15 and 20 working days in December. So I challenge realtors and other entrepreneurs to really honestly look at your December calendar and, and like, take note. It's like any day that you have spent, and I'll even be somewhat lightweight on this, any day that you've spent a minimum of one very productive hour, and it really should probably be two, but you where you worked on lead generation and lead follow-up very purposely. So if you did that for let's say two hours a day, you get to you get to put a star on your calendar for that day, and it equals a work day. Okay. Okay. So, so hover off. Let's let's level off there. Okay. So when you say do mm-hmm. two hours of proactive. Uh, lead generation, what do you mean? Those were my words that I just heard you say, but what would be an example of what someone needs to do in order for them to give themselves that star for that particular day? What would be the minimum requirement of what has to happen in those two hours? Okay, here's the minimum requirement. And I actually, um, a year and a half ago, I relaunched my business, and I'm not going to get into too much detail there. I, I went from a staff position to uh, uh, relaunching my my traditional real estate business, and I literally had a sticky note on my screen on my desk that said, "Julie, comma, what is your fastest route today to a uh, lead client or contract? Do that thing first, and, and really, kind of the subtitle for that message is." Did I add anybody to my database today, or did I move anybody forward uh, in kind of in the lead bucket? Because that's the money work. So did I spend a couple hours today on the money work, or was I busy with the wrong thing? So let me help listeners. Let me let me level off, okay? So listeners, there's really five core activities that you all have to be doing every single day if you want to meet the expectations and the standards that Julie's laying out for you here, okay? Number one is you have to proactively lead generate. Number two, you have to pre-qualify. Number three, you have to present. Number four is you have to negotiate. Number five is you have to close. Um, I think I screwed four and five up, but you get the gist of it. So there's only a handful of activities in real estate that will lead directly to earning money and a paycheck. Now, we will say being of service to other people and uh, earning money and uh, leading to a paycheck because 
if you don't have the ability to be of service to other people, you're never going to get a paycheck. So don't be confused about that. And the only reason I'm drilling down on what I just said is because some of you are uncomfortable uh, with the idea that you are in business to make money, which you are. That is the only reason you're in business unless, of course, you're running a nonprofit. And uh, I wrote this down when you were talking, and this is just in alignment with what you were saying. There's all kinds of studies that have always shown, guys, the difference between in essence, being average and being exceptional is only putting in an additional 10% of effort every single day. And in real estate, the 10% of effort, if it's, if it's focused on being a proactive lead generator or negotiating or one of those five activities, that's going to make accumulatively, because you've only added a little bit of extra effort every single day, accumulatively mm -hmm. it means the world. The difference between where you are in your careers and where you want to be – now, some of you, it's going to, this is going to not you know, be representative, representative of where you really are. But for most of you, the difference between where you are and where you want to be is only about 10 to 15% more focused effort every single day. It's not like you have to yes. completely change everything you're doing. That's what people don't understand. It's not that hard is what I'm trying to nicely say. Yes, I like to say you, the difference between where you're at right now – and your goals is is that you do not, the majority of agents do not necessarily need to completely reinvent themselves. In, those, in fact, most people do not. Mm -hmm. It's just some incremental changes. It's that 10 to 15% of tweaking what you're doing and adjusting and making sure you're doing the right things. You rattled off the five things that every agent needs to do. And I kind of, uh, I kind of call that the, the life cycle of, of real estate. And, mm -hmm. and, and I like to look at it, it's like, what is the lowest common denominator of that life cycle? So the life cycle is it starts with a conversation and it ends with a paycheck. And if you're playing your cards right, there's numerous referrals um, in the process. But, but you could outline, because there's probably about 12 steps in the, the life cycle of a real estate paycheck, Okay. So it's a, it's a conversation, and then it's a lead, and then it's an appointment, and then it's a client, and then it's a contract, and then it's a closing, and there's a few other steps in between. But what I'm talking about is with being a good boss and that 10 to 15% incremental change is, is just the lowest common denominator on that life, life cycle, and that is conversations. And that most realtors, and this is not advanced stuff. Okay, most realtors are not having enough conversations or quality enough conversations to match their goals. So if they're not hitting their goals, and if conversations are the lowest common denominator, what do you think the solution is? When you have two so, choices, you either have more conversations, that's like three, three choices, more conversations, higher quality conversations, or you, you need know. to lower your goals. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, I mean, so um, put more – when you're in the mode of lead generating, uh, now she's mm -hmm. talking about conversations with centers of influence and past clients, which are not necessarily needing to be as direct as the, the, a suggested rule. I'm going to pass along to all of you guys. But one of the things we tell our better coaching clients, our elite coaching clients, is if they're not putting themselves in a position to hear no at least 10 times a day, they did not do their job that particular day. Now, that is a little bit too extreme for most of you, I realize, but it is something maybe you should consider working towards. Maybe you should start with 
putting yourself in a position to hear no at least two or three times a day. And I mean by no, you know, asking for someone for their business, asking someone if they'll sign the contract, asking for an appointment. If you're not putting yourself in a position to be rejected, you're not doing your job. That's the hard thing for a lot of agents to accept because rejection is the biggest thing that they're trying to avoid. And, guys, that's the reason that you love to spend so much time talking about everything other than what your real job is, which is being a kick-ass salesperson. You want to talk about building your team and your logo and your website and your passive lead generation and your IDEX and your drip campaigns and your CRMs and your whatever the hell else the flavor of the month is, that particular month. That's what you want to talk about because you don't want to have to work on moving past your natural, by the way, fear of hearing no. The fear of rejection is the greatest fear that most people have. But that's the fear that you need to move past let me tell you, though, to be honest, you'll never completely get over it. Nobody ever does. But at least you'll know that if that person says no to you, that's okay. You can move on to the next one. You're going to have continued conversations. So if you're not putting yourself in a position to at least hear no, maybe it's once, maybe it's twice, maybe it's ten times a day like some of our top producing agents, you're not doing your job. A thought for some of you to maybe accept as we move into the new year. So, Julie, let's talk about um, – you know, it, it is funny we're talking a little bit about social networking, but where does where does social networking really fit in in your worldview into most agents' lives? Where should it fit in, rather? Not really where basically a lot of agents think it fits in. Where should it fit in? If you're if you have a room full of let's say Midland agents or you know agents who just got their licenses and they just went to some you know uh, seminar and the person said all they have to do is like Facebook pages and send out tweets and all the rest of it, and you know as well as I do. That's just not really the truth. How do you set their minds straight with regards to where social networking uh, does fit in in their businesses? Well, okay, so a couple things come to mind. Um, uh, uh, one, and, and we've all heard this. I didn't. I, who, who knows who I borrowed this from? But but they say you, you want to take your online offline, or you want to take your take your offline online. So it needs to be the nice mix of the two. And one of the greatest tools with Facebook is just simply your ability to interact with people that you already know or that you, that you sort of know. And it's not about you. It's about them. Um, I do find that the majority of agents need to do a little time blocking around their social media. It's not that many agents who are completely knocking it out of the park with their social media. Like, like it's an extremely important piece of their lead generation. Now I know a few agents like that, but it's totally the exception. And and so and and I can get distracted like anybody else with my social media. And I one of the tools I'm using a lot lately is simply telling Siri on my phone to set a timer. So let's say I'm going to jump on Facebook because I. Maybe there was one thing in particular I wanted to look at or I wanted to post something, but knowing how distractible it is, um, I'll set a timer. So I'll say, you know, hey, hey Siri, you set my timer 15 minutes. Now, hopefully she's not going to do that right now. Um, <laughs> and I'll set a timer for 15 minutes. So then I'll do my task, and it's okay if I get distracted in there and start clicking on, I look on a few other people and I'm checking some messages, it's okay because my alarm's going to go off on my phone in 15 minutes and I know why and I'm going to get back to my business. And so I have to put those little tools in place um, 
to help to help make that happen. Um, you know, in, 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 I don't know. It's a. Um, I'd like to pivot, actually. Okay, go ahead. Let's pivot. Let's talk about the changing market. I know you're in Austin, and we're seeing um, a slowdown happen all over the country, and, you know, there's a lot of Mm – yeah. So what are you doing to prepare sellers? Like there was a report that came out the other day. Now, there is no nationwide market, but and I know, you know, agents are going to argue with me when I say this, but this is just a a silly report that came out. Let's just say that, okay, that the projected Mm -hmm. um, appreciation of homes nationwide, again, I know the fallacy in what I just said, but just bear with me, it's only 2% for the next 12 months, whereas people have gotten used to, in some markets, having double-digit appreciation. So if you've got a seller that has unrealistic expectations, can you give the listeners some um, suggestions and how we might uh, wane that seller off having overly aspirational pricing strategies in their minds? Yes. I like when I'm talking to that seller, and let's say I'll use an example of a seller that you know they're talking to other people, or you can just tell, or heck, they may be talking to their brother and their neighbor, and they're like, yeah, the market's on fire. And, of course, the sellers will adjust much slower to a softening market than, than buyers will. Buyers figure, out, figure it out really, really fast. But, it, but it's like you can say, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, if you're talking to a realtor right now who is only looking at this sold data for the last, let's say, 60 to 90 days, and, and you guys are getting all excited about days on market and um, in, in dollar per square foot, I'm telling you that there, you're going to have a strong risk of overshooting the market. And here's really what we need to be looking at right now. And I love having those hard conversations with the seller because with the market shifting, you got to be you got to be willing to walk away from an overpriced mark uh, an overpriced listing. And and as when the market just initially shifts, and and, and this happened to me just over the last month. Um, in, in fact, I think it happened to the majority of agents in Austin, Texas. If you listed a home about 30 days ago, because this is how quickly it happens, is um, I think we overshot the market. We overshot the market, but it was about two weeks later that we that we get a report that says that new home sales are down 8.9 percent, and I'm like, uh oh, you know. And so you take a hard look at that, and you have to have that price reduction conversation. Um, with, with your sellers, so just the willingness to have have that hard conversation and, and convince your sellers that um, that you are you're a really solid market analyst, and 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 the worst thing you can do right now is is um, overprice overprice a, a property and show them and the wait data. For the market and you may, yeah, then you're just yeah, and you may and, have to, and, yeah, yeah, and you may need to be running that market analysis um, once a week for, you know, for, for the next three, four, five, eight weeks in a row, depends on your market, um, to really, uh, I love the data, you know, but to really show your client, like, look, let's, let's get ahead of this market. Listeners, you guys uh, will know if you're listening maybe for the first time, I'll just tell you, go to timandjulieharris.com. Use the search bar that's at the top, you know, the little magnifying glass situation that's in the upper right-hand portion, and put in the word uh, real estate reset. Julie and I did four podcasts on this very topic. 
We did the podcast with the idea of obviously educating you guys as listeners and as agents, professionals, but we also produced the information with the idea that you would then use that information to, uh, to explain the, the real estate reset to your sellers. Um, there's notes along with the podcast replays inside the site that you can then, like I said, just cut and paste and basically reuse them because you need to be explaining to the seller right now what Julie's explaining, what she's describing, it's with the phase two market, and what she said was absolutely right. The sellers are always going to be the slowest to accept the fact that the market's changed and the buyers are going to you know, know that the prices have fallen. And in that, those intervening could be months, you have lots of consternation in the marketplace because there's fewer sellers, you know, basically there's a disconnect between expectations and what the market's willing to deliver. That's what's mm-hmm. going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of agents because as listing agents, they're not going to know how to reposition the houses in the market. And then buyer's agents are going to have to sell. Most agents who've only been in the business since 07 only know how to sell a house on their unrealistic expectation that's going to be the winning lottery ticket. So if your only script is you better buy it or somebody else will, ain't going to work in a market like this. So you have to be getting your skills on. Start with watching those four videos. I think it will help you guys out tremendously. So, Julie, let's talk. When I was researching you for our interview today, I noticed that you were with Keller Williams for a long time. And you were a significant mm-hmm. person in the company, and you know you were in charge of a lot of agents. But then I noticed you mm-hmm. were with that you're now with EXP Realty, and then it's like yeah. EXP Realty. You're in the middle of Austin. You work for the, the world's <laughs> largest real estate brokerage, and you're essentially yeah. inside the you know inside the the red curtains, if you will. And you decide to go with EXP. Can you help the listeners expl- understand why? I'm kind of curious myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I get asked this question a lot. Um, so I've been uh, been in the business for 19 years. The first two were with a really small brokerage with a couple friends, and then I moved to Keller Williams. I was there for 16 years, five of those as the director of training in the largest office, right in the middle of, of Austin. And, and and you're right, right, right in right in the right in the mix of, of things. And then a year ago, uh, I moved my license to EXP, and <laughs> it turns it certainly turned some heads and. And honestly, I think I, I think I would have done it sooner, um, had it not been for um, just being close with so many KW people in in Austin, um, you know, just lots of friends. And um, but I but I realized I was kind of uh, putting putting some personal issues before making the business decision that um, that I needed to make. You know, I was at a point in my career. Was really just kind of assessing, if you will, my next chapter. I thought, what do I want that to look like? I'm I'm 57 years old now. I don't look it. Most people are surprised that I say that number, but I'm at a point in my career where I um, I want to make sure that I have an a, a solid exit strategy. Um, I want good investments. Uh, I want good cash flow. I am really attracted to the concept of, of passive income. And so I started really taking a look at it. Um, and I had a, uh, I have a business coach. And it, it's the same person who really kind of helped me through this conversation a year and a half ago. But I said to her, I said, look, here are my, here, here's what I believe are my business goals and where I want to go and really what I want the next five to ten years to look like, um, and it's my intention to stay with KW, but I'm trying to figure out all of these things. Will you help me Will you help me um, assess that? Basically, will you help me have a solid business plan for my next five to ten years? 
So we embarked upon that coaching conversation, but she, she put one caveat on the conversation. She said, Julie, would you agree that after 16 years with Keller Williams that you might have some blinders on? Huh. And I said, oh, absolutely. I totally, absolutely. I get it. I've served, a, I've served a lot of Kool-Aid over the years. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think everybody has, some blind, has blinders on, um, you know, based on their current situation. She said, okay, great. She said, I will have this conversation with you. I will help you with this process if you agree to just relax those blinders as we consider your options. I'm like, okay, great. That's it was a, good a great coach. foundation. It's a great coach. It was a great foundation to really take a look at that. But kind of at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, well, one, here's an analogy that I use. I, I felt like the pants no longer fit me anymore. I was just running into some things where I'm like, I, I was kind of um, starting to play small in, in, in some ways, or I was just finding that there were some things that I – didn't want to participate in and so I was just kind of going off in my own direction but I was just the pants didn't fit and I was starting to feel that and I was feeling a little itchy during that time there were a few people friends of mine who went over to exp and for me it was a real head turner and I'm like what what's up with that what's what's the big deal about that so I took a closer look at it and really at the end of the day I love the concept of stock and I love the concept of revenue share and how that tied into my five and ten year plan. I don't want to be opening doors at age seventy. Not my plan. In fact well, so probably let, not let me, let me, 65. I've I've heard what you've just said, I've heard from everybody that I've been interviewing, um a lot of these agents that I've been interviewing recently have been EXP agents. We interview top producers like you and a lot of them are moving over to EXP. And when I asked that question, here's, it's very fascinating what you said, and I hope listeners heard you say it because it's really important. You were staying mm-hmm. even though it was not uh, the best financial move for you, but you were staying because you had a sense of community or family with a previous company. Yeah. You had relationships True. and you had a sense of belonging there, and yeah. even though it wasn't in your financial interest to stay there, even though EXP was a better, inter- a better opportunity for you financially – at every level, yeah. you still had some emotional strings that were holding you back. And listeners, that's really important that you understand that because that's what holds most people back from not just you know brokerage decisions, but in life in general. Is they not they're not able to? And, and you heard her say it was not easy for her. And I can hear when she's saying. I think listeners, you can hear the same thing. This was an emotional struggle for her because I imagine at, at a certain level you felt like you were betraying a family, and you know, and maybe that's oh, yeah. an extreme mm-hmm. way of saying it. Is that accurate? No, it, it it is accurate. I hate disappointing people. I hate it. I'm just I'm a nice girl from the Midwest, and and my friends are important to me. And 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 so everything that you just said is is correct. I was putting that ahead of really making a sound business decision for moving my business right. forward. And, and as soon as I just really wrapped my brain around that, and it doesn't mean that it made it easier. Um, but but I needed a little shift um, to to get to get me there. Um, and can we talk about the rev share? Do you mind if we talk, yeah. Julie, do you mind mm-hmm. if we talk about the rev share in the time we have remaining? Because the rev the yeah. rev share, I heard you say. So let's just bro- 
for the sake of listeners, let's just assume that the overall value proposition, strictly from a you know agent to broker perspective, let's assume that it's very competitive with um, the best of the best that's in the industry. So we won't talk about the technology, we won't talk about the transaction coordination, mm-hmm. the support, and we won't talk about all the things that they get. But let's talk specifically, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, because you brought it up, the rev share. Mm-hmm. Explain yes. to the listeners, we, look, we don't have to get into the, the weeds, and the best way of maybe doing it is telling a yeah. story of somebody you know, if you don't mind, or maybe even telling your own yes. story, like how many people yes. you, know, uh, you attracted and what that actually has resulted in, or if you choose, you can use an example of somebody else, it's up to you. Can you share with the listeners yes. some actual real-life stories? Thanks. Yeah, uh, I'm going to share two real quick. So one is my own with, with really very little effort um, because I haven't been very, perp- I've been just, if you will, very organic with this, which is kind of different from your lead generation in your business. Um, but with very little effort, I've sponsored um, uh, nine, uh, ten, nine, ten agents to EXP in the first year. And then they've sponsored another, like, 12. Okay. And and in in the process, I'm I'm I earned like twelve thousand dollars in revenue share in my first year, and and I believe I will double that, maybe triple it next year because I'm starting to really get it. Like I'm waking up. 12, to say, look, look, oh, are you saying twelve thousand? Really are you works. saying twelve thousand? Julie, are you saying twelve thousand per month or twelve thousand accumulatively? No, no, twelve thousand accumulatively with with barely with barely trying. And now, now I'm, I'm averaging about, well, it, I'm hitting about the $3,000 uh, a month average. And I think, I think relatively quickly, it's going to be double that. So I'm starting to see just really how it really works. Now, here's another example that I really like to, to, to tell. And this particularly will appeal to, let's say, Let's say there's a broker out there that's considering taking their entire brokerage and, and moving it under the ESP umbrella because we're seeing that happen around the country. Now, again, that might be a small broker who has five or six agents or it may be one that has, you know, you know, 67 agents. It's, think about those agents that you care about. And if they just sponsored just a few agents. Now, whether it took them a year or whether it took them a few years, the company doubled in size last year. It's projected to double again in size this year. So it's almost a no-brainer that even like the average agent would end up sponsoring a few agents. And I know an agent who's bringing in, and this is a modest example, but about $1,000 a month in revenue share but get this, it pays her mortgage and sometimes her mortgage and her car payment. And she said to me, she said, Julie, I don't know if you realize how life-changing this is for me. I come from a family that has never had financial stability, and now I have passive income that pays my mortgage. She said, that is complete. I get chills when I tell this story because for that agent, with that modest revenue share, it's completely life-changing for her. And I believe she can get it to the point where it's double that and maybe triple that, and that's just a complete game-changer for Let, let me share, with, let me share a story that's something I just learned recently. I, you know this gal. Her name's Nicole, <clears throat> Jean's daughter. 
So I was talking. Yeah. I was had. I was interviewing Nicole, great, great sweetheart of gal, mm-hmm. and she, gal. she's recruited. She's recruited in her entire life. You know, she's sponsored fewer than fifteen people. I believe the number was thirteen. I don't remember exactly. And she mm-hmm. and the first person that she brought on was less than two years ago. It was like eighteen months ago. And over the time, uh, in just the past eighteen months, and remember, she only recruited it was like fifteen people. I think two of them quit, so now she's only got thirteen. But she's making, yeah. it, she said, low 200s per year. So let's just assume that yeah. she's making $200,000 per year. Yeah. And I, and I know of a, I, just from the, doing these interviews for EXP, I've ran into so many people. Most, you're right. And, Julie, I think what you're saying is perfect because most agents, if they had, say, 5,000, 7,500, 10,000 coming in per month from revenue share, that they basically would have all their personal overhead covered. And so the the money that comes from selling real estate could go to paying off debt. It could be going to funding retirement accounts. It could be going to having fun. And that's the thing that's different is that it, I think, frankly, it was one of the best, most valuable things about what EXP has done, the genius behind it, is because it creates yeah. an opportunity for, for agents to uh, have a financial future that's not dependent on just doing transactions. Um, I don't know, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, that's a huge. That's like a. That's being free, basically. If you have, you have money wired to you once a month from your rev share, that essentially covers all your bills and those closings that you have coming in, or the listings once they sell are going to go to you paying for a nice whatever. That is kind of a different way of looking at real estate, and it's certainly a different lifestyle altogether. Um, and that's yeah. a, that's and a like, recurring thing. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I like to say that EXP is changing the conversation from what am I paying my broker. So what is my broker paying me? I know what you're thinking. You're very curious, especially now that you're learning more about the revenue share model that EXP offers. Go ahead and text the word EXP to 31996. Just go ahead and do that now. Just text the word EXP to 31996, and we'll text you back a quick video that explains everything you need to know about EXP in just a quick seven-minute video, and we'll also give you access to having additional questions answered. So while you're thinking about it, go ahead and text the word EXP to 31996. Do that now, EXP 31996. Yeah. And particularly when you and, and yeah, and when when you talk when you talk with the higher producing realtors and they qualify for for that icon agent status year after year after year and they get their cap paid back in stock year after year that's huge well so you're that's talking huge. about something that's real you're talking about something that's really interesting so the cap at exp if i understand correctly correct me if i'm wrong i'm no expert mm-hmm. is sixteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars and you're on an 80 no matter where you you pay, right no matter what your yeah. price range it doesn't change if you happen to be selling in really expensive areas which is in itself mm-hmm. kind of a revelation so you pay in your sixteen thousand but what she's talking about is after you pay in your 16000 correct me if I'm wrong here, if you earn 500000 in total revenue or uh, you, are, you sell an additional 20 houses, I think I got that right, you get, the, you get your cap back, they give it back to you in the form of uh, EXPI, EXPI stock, which is traded on NASDAQ. So in essence, some of you who are already selling approximately probably 25 houses per year um, or those of you who are already earning $500,000 a year, you have no expense of going DXPI effectively because they're going to give you your cap back in the form of stock, and the stock has gone. I mean, just in the recent months, it's doing really well. You guys, you know, we're not talking about stock here, but just go to, just mm-hmm. go to Google and drop in the the uh, ticker symbol EXPI, and you can read about it. So mm-hmm. it creates 
the stock creates an, uh, kind of a forced savings account that most agents will never have. Uh, you get stock guys, they give you stock rewards for other things too, not just for, you know, whether you uh, are an icon agent, you get stock for yeah. selling real estate, you get stock for all kinds of things. Because what they're obviously trying to do is, is they, in my opinion, from just studying this now for a few months, is they have taken all the strengths of all the best real estate brokerage models out there, they've applied it to EXP, and then what they did is they looked for all the things that could make all those strengths better, and that's what they created. And from an agent, and frankly, you said it too, from a broker's perspective, I cannot, there is no better uh, model out there for an agent to run an efficient, um, very profitable business, but then they have all the support they could ever possibly need plus, and then they have the rev share. Uh, if, and you don't even have to sponsor that many yeah. agents for the rev share to work out just enormous for you. You could literally create, yeah. by just doing transactions, you can create multiple sources of income, which goes really to the heart of what we try to get agents to understand is the importance of having, you know, ultimately you try to have multiple spokes of income just like you have multiple spokes of lead generation. And when you do that, guys, you are rich. And rich is where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. So I can see why you went uh, to uh, EXP. You're ex enthusiastic about it and you're excited about it. And as Gene says, it's making real estate fun yeah. again, isn't it? It is. And you know what? I found another family. Yeah. People are happy. I bet it was easy. <laughs> yeah, but you know it what? Was, you, you mentioned that. It was that. easy. I, I, Julie and I have not been active realtors for just forever, right? And But we've gone mm -hmm. to a few EXP events as we've uh, considered you know, taking on all these interviews and gotten to know a lot of these agents. I have never been around a group, maybe Keller Williams back in the 90s, but I've never been around a group of mm -hmm. such supportive, really nice folks that are all – you know, it, it's almost bizarre, guys, because it feels like the, the, I was trying to explain this to somebody else the other day. It feels like going to church. It really does. It feels like you're around people that have, are bonded by a common set of rules, and that's the kind of cool thing because the, the, essentially when you're an EXP agent, you are motivated to help other people because the more successful they become, the more successful you become, whether or not they're part of your revenue share team or not. But because if yeah. once they become more successful, the company becomes more successful, the stock increases in value. Oh, and by the way, you're a shareholder. You actually own part of the company. I mean, the whole thing is incredible, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and, and, <laughs> and I'm finding, like, even for some naysayers out there, because folks are like, well, what if it doesn't work? Or what if the it stock doesn't do that? Well? And, well, and I like saying, what I like saying is, you know what? Um, it's working right now. And... I didn't. It's. I didn't have any of this before. I didn't have yeah. passive income, and I didn't have stock. So, I'm. I'm willing. I'm willing to roll with that because <laughs> it's. It's well, better exactly. than what I had before, and it's currently yeah, working. I, mean, I, I know what you're and talking about. Someone will say, "Well, world. at my at my with this the whole because people it's such an extreme idea because nobody has ever no brokerage has ever actually gone to the extent." where they were literally trying to make realtors rich. That's just the bottom line. Now, I have never seen a model where they've actually they've given it lip service, and they've talked about their training and their culture and all the rest of it, but none of them have ever put their money where their mouth is and said, listen, we're going to create a revenue model that even if you're the world's worst at sponsoring and recruiting agents, and most of you, let's be honest, will be terrible at it, but you will pick up yeah. people organically just from being out and about who will ask you, just like Julie was saying, hey, Julie, you were with Keller Williams forever. Now you're with EXP. Can you tell me more about that? Those conversations mm -hmm. lead to people wanting to join EXP just from your no, normal uh, organic um, you know, relationships. And, guys, here's the big thing. I was not very smart, so it took me too long to figure this out. 
we're not talking about profit share. We're talking about revenue share. Profit share is mm-hmm. you're sharing whatever's left, and there's usually nothing left. I mean, I, I, well, Julie, I'll just ask you. Do you know of anyone at Keller Williams who was making actually a lot of money from profit share? I don't. Well, just some of the original people, because I'm in the I was in the original office, so I know some of those big players. But but those are those are the exceptions. So yeah, right, most people the, were. The majority of agents, most people were not making anything. Yeah, and even so revenue. It, go ahead. Sorry. In my first in my first year at ESP, I doubled my best year profit share at KW, and I was there for 16 <laughs> years, and now. That profit share, and I get to continue in that profit share, but it keeps going down because the agents, the agents I sponsored are leaving. So you mean at Keller Williams? My last, at Keller Williams, my last EXP revenue share check was twenty eight hundred dollars, and a day later, I got a deposit from KW profit share for two (laughs) dollars. Well, look, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something funny. I talked recently to someone who was a very high executive at Keller Williams. I'm not going to say his name. Very high executive mm-hmm. at Keller Williams. He had been there since uh, 2002 or 2004, I don't remember. And he had been directly responsible for ba- – just let's assume this is a brand-name person. He is, his mm-hmm. uh, uh, profit share was only $9,000 a month. And that's after having been there for like decades. It's, it's. I mean, so guys, listen. The bottom line is, is there's a huge difference between revenue share and profit share. Uh, Julie and I. Yeah. I mean, you, you owe it to yourselves, listeners, to seriously consider looking ar- about and look. If you're a brokerage, this is especially true for you because this changing market is going to put a lot of things in flux as far as agents' expectations of what you're going to do for to providing them the support. In the last 10 years, yeah. brokerages. Uh, net profit margins are now less than 3%. Most of the brokerages out there that we coach are only doing about 2%. Guys, look, you got to be dealing with reality here. Don't be like one of these sellers who have their heads in the sand and not accepting the fact that, you know, a market slowdown is going to probably put you out of business. Unless you burn through your own personal savings and start selling off assets, assuming you have accumulated any, this market adjustment yeah. is going to put a lot of you guys back on your heels. Don't wait for that to happen. EXP has got a brilliant system in place so that you can become an EXP. You can keep your own existing brokerage brand if you're a small independent one, if that's what you want to do. And you can just be brokered by EXP. You can have all the benefits of everything we've just kind of you know, touched on. At the same time, none of the liability of being a traditional brokerage. This is the type of thing you still get, to be thinking. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go and ahead. You, still get to care, you still get to care for and love on the agents that you – that you support that have been in your brokerage family for however long you're still taking care of them. They're still, they're still there and most of them will follow you. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen that, you know, totally. Well, I mean, one of the guys Mm -hmm. I interviewed, for example, he was in Florida. He had a brokerage with, and you probably know who this is. He was, I think, 360 Mm -hmm. agents. He was an independent, or maybe he was associated with one of the blue companies, you know. The uh, franchise Uh agreement ran out. He he was, you Mm -hmm. know, and he switched over to EXP, and I think something like 250 of his agents went went with him. They didn't care because they saw EXP as being equal, if not better, than the other options in the marketplace. So, Julie, listen, I really appreciate your time today. We went way over the expected amount of time. I enjoyed talking with you. It's fun talking with someone who I can tell has her act together, and you don't talk around things you're willing to jump in the mosh pit with me and grind and grind out the details which is great it's rare by the way that people okay. can think like that anything else you'd like to say to all the folks oh my god it's 
I'll say, let's do it again. It was really fun. Um, I want to remind folks that the book is on Amazon. So you could uh, just type in Success Faster Julie Nelson, or if you go to successfasterbook.com, it'll take you right to that Amazon link. And it's helping a lot of people. So check it out. And it's on Audible and Kindle and all of that stuff. And it's me on Audible. So if you get Audible, then I get to hang out in the car with, in the car with you, which is fun, unless you're me, and then it's weird. So. It sounds That's like fun. a great book to get with a changing market because it sounds like it's going to reel in a lot of uh, what you guys maybe have as misconceptions after this past boom market, you know, after the seller's market. Trust, you can hear Julie say it. She's much nicer than I was at saying it. But this new market is going to essentially cause a lot of you guys to suffer needlessly if you just have to start with a premise that everything you think you know that's going to lead gener- cause a you know be a good lead generator for you or how to run your real estate practice that you've learned since say 2010 or 2011 you have to sur- assume that all of those things are are if they work at all are not going to work nearly at the same level so it's time for you to re-listen to what Julie said as far as drilling down and really getting to the essence of what makes someone successful and frankly those who choose to struggle and I think great, getting her book is a great idea so hop over to Amazon. And, uh, yeah, pick it up. And I'll give you another complimentary book while you're there. You can pick up our book, Harris Rules, too, if you want to. But get Julie's first. Oh, very good. All right. All right. right. Cool, Julie. Thank you. I appreciate it. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.